Many of you watch uh, National Geographic shows at all? Yeah, some. Uh, Discovery Channel? Okay, um, the History Channel. Those kind of shows, those kind of programs. Some very interesting ones. I'm still waiting, them, uh, waiting on them to do one on the, the Easter Bunny. Why is it that any time they do a show on the mystery of Jesus, it's always uh, slanted in such a way that it's questioning Jesus' existence or, or his upbringing or whatever? Obviously, they're not going by the record. They don't believe in the record. But they sure talk about the mystery of Jesus. I'll tell you one thing. There is a mystery of Jesus. And you know what it is? Why in the world did He come and do what He did? It's truly amazing. But as, as you might be aware that this whole idea of the, the Easter bunny and that whole thing, uh, is, it's got a lot of uh, pagan uh, ritual behind it all, pagan uh, stories and, and things behind it. And, you know, um, I don't know, maybe it just kind of parallels the, the idea of Santa Claus and flying reindeer, you know, and um, it's just, it's kind of, that, that's where the mystery is. Easter bunny, Easter eggs. You know, uh, and I know, I know it's fun for the kids and all that. I'm not um, condemning it. But it is rather odd how it gets hooked up to deviate from the real message. Because you, you ask the modern day American, what's Easter about and what are they going to tell you? A lot of times it's not going to be about Jesus is risen. It's more about, well, it's springtime and Easter bunnies and they lay eggs. I saw it on the History Channel. <laughs> oh my. Well, I, I will tell you something. Anytime someone will stand up and say, here's what the Bible says about Easter. They're not going to believe it. They're going to put it down. This is just another myth right here. And... Uh, you know, you're, you're pretty uh, narrow-minded if you believe in this. It's interesting to get on the Internet um, and look and read the different uh, newspaper blogs that are out there. And I spent a little bit of time uh, reading through some of it. And it's, it's, it's such a vast array of opinions and beliefs that Americans have. The idea that America is a Christian nation, um, that doesn't hold a lot of water. I know it's been, it's, it was founded on Christian principles. I'm with you there. But to say it's a Christian nation, no, it's not a Christian nation. It's a pluralistic nation. All sorts of views. And even the ones who say that they're Christians, even there, that's under a lot of scrutiny. Because you, you go into that area of study and try and understand and, and figure out, you know, well, what do Christians really believe then? And do Christians really believe in a literal, physical resurrection from the dead? And those that are taken in the polls across the nation, many would say, well, I don't know. They're not definite about it. Why? Because they're not feeding or standing in the things of the Word of God. They're not continuing in the things of the Word of God. We want to continue here in the things of the Word of God this morning. That's where we have God's Word. And if you want to take... If you're an individual that's here um, you know, visiting on Easter, we're glad that you're here. Uh, it might be that you take uh, the understanding that this is um, a stretch to believe in, uh, and, and figuring that, well, some of these Old Testament stories, whoa, you know, that can't be true. 
Or some of the, uh, the records that are, are given in the Old Testament, well, that can't really be true, or otherwise God wouldn't be a God of love. And see, we get very narrow-minded in our understanding of the Bible. We always just uh, keep it uh, that God's a God of love, and we don't think of other things. In the, in the book of Revelation, we just sang the Revelation song to close our time with. And what, what is the ongoing chorus there in that song and in the book of Revelation? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay? And what He would have you, if you're a, a Christian, if you're saying, I am a, a Christian, I, I believe Jesus died, He was buried, and He rose again on the third day, I believe that, then then it's something that we who believe that ought to be growing more in the things of God. One is in love. We ought to be growing more and more in love for one another and for those outside uh, who don't believe. Love your neighbor, right? And and to grow in the things of holiness also. To grow in 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 understanding what grace is about. Well, those are some of the things we want to talk about here today. Um, We're going to be looking at a passage that is famous for its theme on the resurrection. So I'd like to ask you to take your Bible. If you don't have one, you can use one hopefully in the pew or in front of you there and uh, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. There's the book of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, before we read this and study it, I want to give a little um, background. We're not going to do a a huge, huge study on the background of 1 Corinthians, but I do want you to understand that Corinth was a city in the nation of Greece. Okay? And... They had a lot of, uh, those who came to faith in Christ brought with them um, understandings of pagan uh, uh, teachings, okay? One of which was that um, they understood that there was not a resurrection of the bodies. And so the Christians that came to the church at Corinth needed to be um, corrected, so to speak, in their thinking about this whole issue of the resurrection, And so, really, this whole letter, there's a number of areas and subjects that Paul has to correct the believers in. And so, if you were to read through 1 Corinthians, you'd see a lot of that. Okay? And so, we pick it up in chapter 15, where he says, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And he says, now, I make known to you, in verse 1, or I declare to you, brethren, so he's talking to the Christians there, I declare to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And so we want to look at this and try to understand what Paul is saying here. And as we read, if you were to read on, which I would encourage you to do, um, to read on in this chapter, it it talks about uh, the resurrection of Christ. And if Christ is not raised up from the grave, then our faith, uh, it was mentioned this morning in our sunrise service, this is all a waste of time if Christ isn't raised up from the grave. And we're more than fools 
we're, we're looked on as, as being fools. If Christ is not raised from the dead. And so we want to look at three, I'm sorry, four, four, uh, statements, if you will, of the testimony that Paul brings up. There's four of them that I see here in verses 1 through 11. And so I want to, um, share with you this, this first one. It's the testimony. And, and in your bulletin, if you want to follow along, there's an outline there. And you can follow along and fill in the blanks if you'd like. The testimony, number one, of effective ministry. If I were to ask you, okay, how many of you would say you believe in the, in the foundation or the fundamentals of the faith? You believe. And you've become a Christian. And maybe that was years and years ago. And, you know, most everyone in here would probably raise their hands. I'm not going to do that now. But, um, you know, we, we have that thinking. You know, we want to know... Um, what effective ministry is because I've become a, a believer and I want to I want to understand where I'm supposed to be how I'm supposed to be living and he tells us right here here's the the there's a couple of nutshells here and here's the the nutshell if you will on effective ministry and it starts with letter a the gospel that he's talking about he says I declared it to you I make known to you brethren the gospel and that's what we want to zero in on first is the gospel which, letter A, the gospel I preach to you. Okay? This is what has been made known about the message of salvation. It's the announcement of good news with authority and power. And at some point, you heard the preaching of the gospel and you made a profession of faith in Christ. Okay? And it goes on to letter B. The gospel which you also, what? Received. You believed. Or you received. Or you took it and you believed. Alright? Pretty simple there. Okay? But it's interesting that these two, under letter A and letter B in your outline, the gospel I preached to you and the gospel you received, both of those are in the aorist tense. Alright, the aorist tense in the Greek. And that is looking at an event that took place in the past. Period. It's what happened in the past. Alright? So, in the idea to receive, I said, is to take or to, to receive or to accept. But look at the next one. Letter C, the gospel. And you see it in verse 2. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 1. The end of verse 1. In which you also stand. That's the third one. The gospel in which you stand. Now, typically, you know, we would think, well, this is also in the aorist tense. It's not. You say, well, what tense in the Greek is it? It's not even in the present tense. It's in the perfect tense. That's very significant, my friend. It's not just past tense. Here's what happened. Um, I preached the gospel to you. That's Paul. I received it, that's the believer, and I stand in it. That's not past tense, that's perfect tense. Okay? And the perfect tense is what began, listen, the perfect tense is what began in the past and continues on in the present. See the importance here? The gospel in which you stand. See, a lot of times we get to thinking that, well, I received Jesus Ten years ago. And we, we, have, we have this break in our thinking, this disconnect that says, well, I, I, I prayed that prayer back then. Fifteen, twenty, whatever, however many years ago. But this verse is not talking that in, that ter- in those terms. This is saying the gospel in which you stand now. And that has significance for us because we need to, we need to know what the gospel is. And we need to be standing in it and living in it. And we think, well, that's pretty simple. Well, when you try to understand, here's the idea of death and burial and resurrection that Christ did. And it's supposed to be a bit of a reflection. Not a bit, but it's supposed to be a miniature reflection in my life. Do you understand that? In my life as a Christian, in your life as a Christian, the little mirror image of death, burial, and resurrection in your life now and ongoing because of what happened in the past. Perfect tense in the Greek. 
The perfect tense there. Okay? Now look at what it says. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, and you're saying, oh, so this is saying that you can lose your salvation. Right? If, you know, he says... I preach this gospel to you. You received it, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you. Well, what if I haven't been holding fast to the word? What is this getting at? How do we understand this? And a lot of times we think that it means that if I don't perform, then, then I, I must lose my salvation. But no. It's more of the issue of the evidence that's already there. The evidence in your life. Okay? Um, I need a bigger platform here or something to spread out my notes. It's more about, um, we say this is an explanation of what we call persevering in the faith. When it says there, if, we hold, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you. Okay? It's, it's in regards to the evidence that they truly believe that they will, and then they continue in the things of God. And we're never bringing up this issue of sinless perfection because you won't hit that, I won't hit it. Only Jesus hit sinless perfection. Okay? And there will be struggles that you will face as a Christian. There will be tests and temptations. There will be stumblings. You'll, you'll face those things. But there will be an ongoing direction and a hope of maturity and fruit in your life demonstrating that there is this presence of God's grace in your life. Okay? So, it's not a matter that this is saying we lose our salvation, but no, it reveals, this is saying it reveals that these people are truly saved. It's proof or it's validation of genuine conversion. So that the one who professes faith in Christ ends up persevering in that faith and in growth and in sanctification. If a man professes faith in Christ and then falls away, listen, this is an important statement here. If a man professes faith in Christ and then falls away or makes no progress in godliness, it doesn't necessarily mean that he lost his salvation. It might rather mean that he's really never been converted. See, a lot of times, I've been in a situation where I say, well, so-and-so made profession of faith in Christ. They prayed a prayer. They came down, down the aisle and they, they, you know, responded. You know, we can see that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that truly they're saved. It might mean that they have it in their head and they've got it on their lips and they are responding because something emotional is going on. But does it mean that they're truly saved? Time will tell, right? Time will tell. It's a difficult thing. But notice now, go back to the text here. Look at what he says. This, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, what is the next phrase? Unless you believed in vain. Now, we bring this up because it's critical that all of us hear it. All of us are exposed to it. Because I know in my lifetime, there have been many who have made profession of faith and didn't stay with it. And now they're, if you ask them, they will say, well, I don't really believe in that anymore. But what happened? How come? Because back then, you believed in Jesus and you were a part of the ministry here. You were involved. Why? What happened? And now, are they or aren't they? Are they or aren't they? Where are you know? Where is it at? Well, one of the things that Scripture gives us is this phrase: "Unless you believed in vain." And it's kind of a what seems like a contradictory statement. Unless you believed in vain, it sounds like they came, but it it had no. Uh, worth to it or no value behind it. The word in vain means empty. Nothing to it. Okay? So, 
I, I can't claim that I have uh, understanding on every issue or whatever, you know, but this is one thing that it, this phrase shows up here and also in 1 Corinthians 6 where it talks about believing in vain. And I think many of you have seen this also. You've seen it where someone says that they became a Christian and a few years later, maybe even a couple of months later, they're not plugged in and they're not involved and they're not standing in the things of the gospel. So, this passage of verse 1 and 2 gives us this testimony of an effective ministry. The idea is that you wouldn't be believing in vain, but that, listen, that there'd be belief that would take effect. That there would be an effect in belief. I mentioned this to some of the guys the other night. If I walked up to this live electrical plug and I put my finger, I, I got my finger all wet and I went like this, I stuck my finger in there, well, there would be a what? An effect. I would be affected by that. <laughs> what about Christianity? Okay? See, that's the issue that he's talking about, and he's using the argument of the resurrection to bring about this motivation, if you will, for us. Okay? So, there, that's the first one. The testimony that he gives of, the, of an effective ministry. Number two, the testimony of the saving message. Verses 3 and 4. First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. What do you see in that passage right away? You know what? Paul uses that little word, hati, in the Greek, and it's translated the word, that. And it's, each, it's in there, each phrase. And it's specifying each one. That, okay, that he died for our sins. Again, this is in the aorist tense. There, it, this was a death with a purpose. We, we won't go into it real deeply now. But this is about his suffering. That he died as a substitute for sin. Okay? He willingly gave himself. And in this death, he was our substitute. He absorbed the wrath of God in his death and he took our punishment against sin. You know, the, those science shows and Discovery Channel and history, they all, you know, they can talk about, well, who killed Jesus? And, uh, you know, we see, you know, some of you watch the movie, uh, The Passion of Christ. You've seen that. And we see the terrible punishment that Christ took from the Romans. And they were no slouches when it came to execution. They knew. They knew what to do and how to do it. They were professionals. Okay? And he suffered there and he died. And he, as we understand the scriptures, it was really, what did he die from? His heart burst from within. Okay? He was bearing your sins. He was bearing my sins. He was bearing the sins of the world. And he burst from within. And he took our punishment. Also, Letter B on the back of your outline. Christ was buried. Again, this is aorist tense. Something in the past that, that took place. A point in time in the past. And he was dead. And he was buried. Okay? And here's where some of these um, hoaxes come in about the resurrection. They say, well, he, he really didn't die. He kind of just went unconscious because of all the pain. You know... No, he died. He was dead. They took a spear and thrust it into his side. Right? And, and again, they didn't just poke him. They thrust it into his side knowing where that spear was going up into the heart chamber and out poured the water and the blood. He was the spotless Lamb of God that went to the cross for you and I. And here's 
you know, here's ongoing with the, the gospel in a nutshell. He died for our sins. He was buried. They put him in the tomb. They rolled the stone over it and they sealed the stone and they didn't stop there. They put a guard outside, a Roman professional guard outside to watch the tomb. And now the critics say, well, the disciples stole his body. Ha! <laughs> the disciples were, you know, scattered in a, you know, they were just, they were, they were lost bunch of little troopers. The disciples didn't do it. They weren't going to go and take on the, the Roman guard, however many of them there were. You know, typically in that setting, there's probably about four in the Roman guard. Some say there's more, but you know, they're not going to overpower those Roman guards. Oh, the, the Roman soldiers took the body. Why? What was the motivation there? Filthy Jew? Let's get out of here. I want to get back home or get back, you know, whatever. <laughs> what are they going to steal the body for? Chief priests, elders. <laughs> what in the world are people thinking to throw all these other arguments out saying, well, it's so-and-so stole the body. Or it's a different tomb. Well, somebody fooled the Roman soldiers on that different tomb story. Again, you know, it's not just a bunch of airheads that are out there in, involved in this. This was, you know, it was a plot on mankind's part. And the Romans were there, and the Romans wanted to put down any kind of, you know, squash, squash any kind of uprising of, uh, of a king. They weren't going to fool around at all. It was a guarded tomb. And then it says, in, in your outline, let us see, Christ was raised on the third day. And here again, folks, here's this, per, the, the Greek perfect tense pops up again with that he was raised. That's the tense that verb is in. Christ was raised on the third day. The others were aorist tenses. I added letter 2D in it because the next thing is that Christ appeared. He not only rose up from the dead, he appeared. And it goes right into number three, the testimony of eyewitnesses. But before we go there, you need to, you know, if there's any question in your mind, my friend, about your salvation, about your knowing God, about your eternal destination when you die, if there's any question at all, it's answered right here in the, the gospel in a nutshell. And if you will respond sincerely, genuinely to God in His statement, in His word, that He of first importance. That, that's not a, th a statement in time. That's an, a statement in value and importance. Is a first priority in your life. What? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Old Testament tells us in the book of Psalms, a number of places where it, it, it predicts, it prophesies that He will die. Psalm 22 comes to mind. If you want to jot that down, read Psalm 22. And that he died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. You respond to that, that event and the person that's behind it all and trust in him. You'll be saved. You'll be saved. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And here's how, here's what you're basing it on. Right here, what he did. So, and Christ appeared. Um, a little note here, on the basis of the believers, here's the, their faith, their response of faith, and what you read in the book of Acts, here's the whole, the whole thing is based on this. Peter's first messages in the book of Acts all came springing forth from this gospel. And in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and 5 in there, those messages that you read of, they're calling for a response. And in, it's interesting that the response that they're calling for in the, in the sermons and Acts are not about, well, just come and accept Jesus. Come and accept Jesus. It's not saying that. And what have we done in our past 30, 40 years in Christianity? We have called people saying, just accept Jesus. And you know what that does? That's turning the table on things. The Bible is express about it and specific about it. Peter was preaching to thousands saying, you must repent. 
There's the response. You recognize you're a sinner. You recognize you live in a sinful world. Do you? Then respond, not by accepting Jesus, but by repenting of your sins and turning to the one who is spotless, who is totally innocent and is totally righteous, who took on your sin and mine. That's responding to the gospel. Well, so Christ appeared. And we move on to verses 5 through 8. Look at it real quick here. And he appeared to Cephas. And that's Peter. Peter was, uh, you know, always there with Jesus, ready to, you know, stand up and be counted. And, and he was the one that tried to take off the guy's head in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, with his sword. Peter was right there. And yet he denied Jesus three times. And I find it wonderful, fascinatingly wonderful, just amazing. Who's the first person that's recorded here? He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to Peter. My friend, grace is written all over this. God's grace. Peter was the one who really kind of turned him away at the, you know, that night of the arrest. Peter denied him. And here, here it is. He appeared to Cephas, to Peter. Okay. What loving kindness from Jesus. And you know what, friend? It might be that you're saying, in your mind, you're saying, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've experienced. But you know what? I don't. But I don't matter in it. Jesus knows and He's the one that matters. He will receive you but He's not the one begging for you to accept Him. You need to be the one begging for His mercy. See, in our day and age, we've turned the tables. Somehow we, 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 we sit back and say, well, you know, I, I'll just wait right before I die. Then I'll accept Him. It's wrong thinking. Totally wrong thinking. And people will perish and be separated from God forever because of false teaching. And we want to be clear on this. Don't be caught up in saying, well, if I'm just a better person, I'll go to heaven. Do you know that at the beginning of the message, I talked about how Christians, you know, there's all sorts of Christians in America, right? And they all figure, well, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because I I did this or I did this. But then you ask, you know, some of the surveys go, well, do you believe in hell? Well, no. No. Because um, that's, that's just a little too much. That's too hard to swallow. I mean, after all, a good loving God isn't going to send people to hell, right? But see, we, we skip this whole thing of God's holiness. And we need to understand God is holy in all that He is, in all that He does. Okay? So... This eyewitness list, this eyewitness list, these people saw Jesus resurrected. They saw him. And it's Cephas or Peter. And then to the twelve. In verse six, look at verse six. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. And he adds this note. He says, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. What does that mean? Some have died, but some are still out there. And by the way, you want to go check... You want to go talk to him? It's like that's the idea behind what he's seeing. You want to go see him? They're still out there. In, their, in this time period, they were still alive. They saw, they'd seen Jesus, and some of them are still alive. Okay? Then James, another interesting point that verse 7 says, He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. This particular James, we don't have a lot of time to dive into it, but this James happened to be his half-brother. In John chapter 7, verse 5, you can jot that down, we're not going to look it up, but John chapter 7, verse 5 tells us that his brothers did not believe in him. Okay? They were skeptics. And yet, Jesus went after this one brother, James. Then, the Apostle Paul himself, and you say, wait a minute, Jesus was already dead and risen and ascended to heaven. How did Paul see the risen Jesus? 
Well, there you need to read the the first couple of chapters of the book of Galatians, where it tells us that Paul and Jesus had their time together. Okay? And you say, well, that sounds pretty far-stretched. Yeah, that's called a miracle. Hey, you, you, you get past the resurrection of the dead, guess what? All, all, everything else pretty much falls in line and say, oh, this is another miracle. Resurrection of the dead is the key to it all, my friend. It's the key to it all. If you can, if you're a skeptic, if you can disprove the resurrection from the dead by Christ, then you can knock out every support of Christianity. Everything. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 argues. Okay? Without His having risen up from the grave, our faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain, and our faith is in vain. It's empty. It's it's for naught. So, and you know what? They're, they're not listed here. Listen, there's other... I love this. There are other eyewitnesses that aren't mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 15. And you know who they are? We kind of talked about it already. Eyewitnesses. Had to have been of the empty tomb, the Roman soldiers. You have to throw them into this idea. They maybe not, uh, maybe they did not see the risen Savior bodily, but they knew the tomb was empty. And especially in this list, adding in the, el- uh, the chief priests and the elders, they paid off the Roman soldiers. Matthew 28. They paid them off to keep them quiet. And the whole thing comes back to this. Why didn't somebody bring forth the body of Christ? Why didn't someone do it? Because if someone would have done that, everything would have been put to rest. And you know, stop and think of this. How many people, criminals, did the Roman government crucify? (laughs) I don't know. Do you know? (laughs) I don't know. Thousands? Yeah. Maybe maybe even up near the hundreds of thousands. And who's the only one you remember? Jesus. Why? Because he rose from the grave. He rose up from the grave. Okay? All right. Um, so my, my final thought on this, number three, the testimony of the eyewitnesses, and you've many of you have heard this, but... So were all these people that they've listed, were they all hallucinating? Were they hallucinating? I mean, we know of people that hallucinate and they see something, but typically they're in the hospital and they're on drugs, right? (laughs) I won't share personal stories of things from the hospital. (laughs) But Sarah had some interesting moments being on drugs. These people were not hallucinating. And we're not talking just the the circle of guys around Jesus that saw him. He says, and more than 500 saw him. Okay? So, let's go to number four. The testimony of a transformed man. Okay? That's the fourth one. So, number one was the testimony of effective ministry. Number two, the, the testimony of a saving message. Number three, the testimony of eyewitnesses. And number four, the testimony of a transformed man. And this is all about grace. You see it in your outline. Every point has the word grace at the end of it. Number, or letter A under number four is humbled by grace. When, when you come to Christ, that's the first thing that really ends up being an effect in your life. You are humbled. You are humbled. How? That's why I said at the beginning, how could Jesus have done this? I don't deserve this. If you're truly saved, you know you don't deserve it. And it humbles you. And that ought to be an aspect or a trait of your life. And you know what America is like. All sorts of arrogance and pride and materialism. And and it just grows and grows. And it so, so subtly enters into your life and your behavior and your conduct. God help us in that we show that we are truly saved by being truly humble. Look at what Paul says. 
verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle. You know, it's not like he said under, under his breath, well, it's about time. You know, I, I've been, I, I mean, look at my, my, my track record. You can look at Philippians 3 and he, he pulls it out. He pulls out his resume and says, oh, I did all this and I did this and this. Apostle Paul, Philippians 3. But he, what does he say about that record? I count it, excuse my language, I count it as dung, as refuse. We've got another word for it. I'm not going to say it. You know it. Paul was very right to the heart, right to the point of it. He was top of the line, Pharisee, top of the line, work, good religious person. And he listed it all and then he says, it's all refuse. Flush it down the toilet. That's what he says about his personal record. And then he says here, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He persecuted Christians. He wanted to see them die. Okay? And then in our arrogant way, we can kind of turn it around and, and kind of pump it up saying, well, I, I, you know, I didn't really ever do that kind of bad stuff. You know, I, 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 I'm not like that person. I, I don't, I don't, you know, do that. I, I don't gamble. I don't, I don't uh, smoke or drink or chew or go with girls that do. You know, I don't, I don't do that stuff. Right? See, here's, you know, folks, we're winding this up, and what it comes down to is you who say you're a believer. If you say you're a believer in Christ, then you're standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is about His resurrection from the dead and that you would live a new resurrected life. And some of you are not living that way. You're not living for Christ. You've got a patch on your arm that says, I got, I got a ticket to glory. And I got fire insurance from hell. But as far as how you're living now, you're not living for the King of Kings. And that means, according to this passage, it comes down to saying, you've believed in vain. You have believed in vain. Your life outside of church is not about humility. Letter B, it's not being affected by grace. That's what number letter B is. Affected by grace. He says in verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain. He takes that... He, there it is. It's sandwiched right there. He's concerned that you, you believe in vain. And then He comes back and He says, but the grace of God did not prove vain for me. Why? He's a changed man. He's been affected by the Spirit of God in his life. If you are saying that you're a believer, then somewhere there needs to be an effect in your life. It's then, if not, then it's just like, well, you know about the resurrection, you know about Jesus, but you're not saved. I challenge you in that. And again, I'm not standing here saying, I, I know that you're not saved. I, all we can do is say, let's look at the Bible, let's study the Bible and see what it says, right? That's where we go. That's where we need to go. Okay, so letter A is humbled by grace. Letter B is affected by grace. Letter C is motivated by grace. Look at what he says. Verse 10, But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Why did Paul do what he did? If you study the life of Paul, you see this guy was all over the place. And he, it's like he didn't stop. He's motivated by this. Christ died for our sins. And Christ was buried. And Christ rose again from the grave. Then that idea of labor means to become weary. <laughs> to just pour it all out. To lay it all out on the table. There you go. It's all for Christ. It's all about Him. Why? He's alive. And letter D, 
Letter D, look at verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And letter D, I would suggest to you, is continues in grace. Okay? So you've got humbled by grace. I'm not fit to be an apostle. Letter B, affected by grace. His grace did not prove vain or empty. Letter C, motivated by grace. I, I labor all the more. And letter D continues in grace or carries on with grace. Do you understand that, you know, along with Paul, the apostle, and many others, their work, you are, as a true believer, you are a benefactor of their labor, of their sharing their faith, of their teaching, of Paul's writings, all that. Here in this generation... You have been uh, saved. Those of you who have come to faith in Christ. You have the, the question is, have you been transformed? That's what this passage is really getting at. Has grace been in vain? Or has grace taken effect in your life? And so the more that you are saying, i got to read from the Word of God to learn... That's a great sign. That's a great start. And no one's saying that there's got to be a, a certain level of perfection. And by the way, we're going to take a, an attendance chart and add that into the, the mix. No, we, we don't do that. What we want to do is say, grow in the grace and the what? And the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's your call, Christian. Okay? So... I encourage you to keep reading in chapter 15. We're, we're kind of done with this study and this challenge in the Word of God. But take chapter 15 and keep reading. Okay? Keep reading. Keep studying. Keep hungering after the Word of God. Let me close with this thought. It was two weeks ago that Noreen and Sarah were in the room and... and it was uh, kind of of a discouraging day. We thought we were going to be released from the hospital um, and head home to Fallon, but it didn't work out. And so that day, I decided to um, do what I've wanted to do since we started this little journey and with Sarah's uh, illness, sickness, disease, um, is to head out to the Golden Gate Bridge. And so I did that this day. It was a beautiful, sunny day. Um, and I, I took pictures and I walked out in the Golden Gate Bridge. And I, at one point I leaned against the, the barrier there. I wasn't trying to jump off at all. I, I, I didn't need to be convinced after I looked down. <laughs> um, but I, I leaned against that, that railing. And you could, you could feel the shaking of the traffic and almost a little bit of swaying it, it felt like at times. And uh, so, it, it, obviously, we've, we've, in going to the hospital, we've typically gone the Golden Gate Bridge all the time. So I've taken a, an interest in it. Um, I, I came across, and, and you've probably heard this, um, maybe you've heard about it, of the building of that Golden Gate Bridge. And uh, it was back in the 1930s. And the one who was really pushing it uh, behind it was Joseph Strauss. I assume that's from Levi and Strauss Company. But uh, anyway, um, Joseph Strauss in, in invested over $130,000 in a, a certain feature. This is not the whole bridge. This is just a certain feature. Actually, it happened when, when there were delays uh, that took place in the work because of men who fell to their death in this uh, project. And so, the idea was to uh, string a safety net under the bridge. And um, so they did that. After a time, they were able to put a, a huge um, safety net under that bridge. And so, when guys obviously fell, they wouldn't fall to their death, they fell into the net. And it was like, you know, similar to a circus net uh, suspended under the bridge. 
and reading from this little note, um, the safety net extended 10 feet wider than the bridge's width and 15 feet further than the roadway's length. It gave workers, this is really interesting, it gave workers an abiding sense of security as they moved more freely and quickly across the slippery, half-constructed steel. And then one of the workers, a bridgeman at the Golden Gate, was quoted as saying this, there's no doubt that the work went faster because of the net. Some workers were positively giddy about the intervention, uh, the invention, so, so much so that they had to be threatened with dismissal so they wouldn't just dive into the net for thrills. Here's, here's where we draw together, folks. I know that His grace is sufficient in my life. And I know that I continue to sin in one way or another every day. Every day of my life. The Apostle Paul says... How shall we continue in sin? How shall we continue in sin? We need to realize that in a way, if we're connecting this little story of the net under the Golden Gate Bridge, if you're saying you're a believer, but you're not growing in the things of God, you're always diving into the net just... Uh, for the joy of diving into the net. And you're, you're kind of sitting there, you know, in the, in the relaxing position of laying on your back on the net because grace has caught you again, right? And you are depending on that grace in, in maybe too much of a way. And your, your desire to continue in sin is greater than your desire to grow in grace. And you even, if we're going with this, illusion here, this motif, you're even questioning if you're a worker on the bridge. You understand that? You can't just be laying in the, in the net as a Christian. You've got to get back up and keep working. The Lord is coming again. And we don't get back up to work to earn our salvation. We're already saved as Christians. It's about His His. His grace and His perfect, perfect work at Calvary. So, my encouragement, I think it's clear. The net is there. And we do fall. And praise God for His grace that catches us. But don't stay in that. Get back up and keep growing in the things of God. And centering it on this. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried and he rose again. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing one closing song. Um, And so uh, let's pray together.